the amount of intelligences and abilities and strengths and superpowers that we focus on in conventional school is so thin. And, and life is such a relational you know, experience. It's all relationships. And so to me, school is one of the most important places to develop relationship skills because that becomes our future. Welcome back to the next episode of Education is Life. Got a super exciting guest today. We got Mitchell Blyer with us, uh, who is not only a parent of a Griffin at Greenfields, but he's also just recently come on staff and helped out with admissions and talking to other families and outreach. And he's got a great story. Uh, his family's got a great story. We love to have him on board. Love to have his uh, child on board with us too. Uh, welcome to the show, Mitchell. Thanks, Rob. So glad to be here. You know, why don't you tell us about how you found Greenfields, uh, what you were looking for, and what it's like having been there so far. Have you been there, what, about a year and a half now? We showed up um, on Halloween, which is a really funny day to have as your first day of school, all dressed up in costume, of uh, 2019. So, yeah, like a year and a half or so. Well, my story or my family's story to finding Greenfields kind of starts with um, our oldest son who is now graduated from college but it wasn't such an easy journey through the educational system for him and at that time we were living in connecticut and we were in these blue ribbon public schools and there was so much pressure and it was a great school but totally the wrong school for him and it opened our eyes to different school options you know for for our kids and and myself i i was a public school my whole life from um, suburbs of Detroit. And I thought it was such a great value to be in the public school because I had so much diversity. You know, there was such a, a mixture of different cultures in this school. And I thought that was really important. And um, so I really thought the public school systems could be a wonderful thing. And I learned that it just wasn't for our oldest son. At that same time, our youngest son, who's at Greenfields, was around four, and he was in a, a private school, a friend's school, which I was so all about the culture of it, and they just kept telling us this is the wrong school for him. And um, they asked him to get tested, and um, that he just wasn't you know, fitting in as an individual amongst the group, like didn't know how to interact. So... We pulled him and put him into the public schools in Connecticut because he could get integrated services. And, you know, for preschool, that was wonderful. Kindergarten, it was okay. And then we moved to Chicago. And when we landed in Chicago, you know, he didn't have services for the first year. And then he did, but they really weren't any services. They were just meetings about services, but there were really none applied. And he was so lost. First, second, third. Um, third, fourth grade, it was really a disaster. We started to watch his anxiety levels go up and his complete just sadness to go to school like every day, like not so uncertain with what the social situations met, the, the academic was unfulfilling. He was afraid to have any voice. And it was really stressful for my wife and I and having witness firsthand what that was like for a high schooler, middle school and high schooler for so many years. And we made it a really big priority in our life to listen to our, you know, 10 year old at that time, or 11 year old, and hear what he was saying, and not just 
you know, discredit him because he was young and, you know, he had to suck it up. We, we really sat there and said, you know, is this the modeling and the message we want to tell our child that this is life? It's hard. Deal with it. You know, we all went through it. And if, is that going to be his educational life? And then is that going to be his life, you know, through college? And then he's going to get a job he doesn't really like and a marriage he doesn't really want to be in, but you got to just suck it up and do it because that's what everybody does. And at some point, he's going to find agency that he's unhappy in life. And, and we did not want that. So we started exploring um, different schools. And um, a friend of ours had said, you might really like Greenfields. And um, we had never heard of it. And we called up. And uh, my wife, I think, talked to you, Rob. And we were probably in the office within two hours because CPS was on strike. <laughs> and um, when we walked in, you know, it was there was something about the feeling like, you know, you walk into someone's home that put so much love into it and the, the feeling, the care, the, the thoughtfulness, it wasn't like walking into, you know, that modern mansion, you know, or something like that, like that you're, you're eyeing from the outside going like, Oh my God, that must be the greatest home. But you walk in, it's totally cold and sterile. This was just like walking into a familiar place. I wonder why they. I wonder why it is like they 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 make school buildings, traditional school buildings, feel like places that are supposed to be imposing, right? It's like the courthouse where you're supposed to feel small when you go in because it's like there's bigger things at play here than you. Like, what? Why? Why would you choose that as a place to create for young people to go to learn? I don't know. That's a really good because question. I never thought about it that way. It's just, just crazy. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like they originally were like that one room schoolhouse, you know, felt, you know, quaint and cozy, but yeah, like you look at these big schools, they look semi-prison like, you know, and, and, you know, like you're locked into this room and these hallways and anything that's out of place is, you know, it's like fear driven. And when we walked into Greenfields, it was so, there was so much kindness and, it, you know, it's not a big place, you know, we look around and, you know, there's like things are spilling over and, and, you know, and this and that, and, you know, but it's like, but it felt like kids were really comfortable here, you know, just from the foyer itself and, and how they all had their place there. And when we came into your office, there was an immediate sense of you understood kids like you understood how to communicate and how to listen to children. And it wasn't just about dismissing the kids and hearing the parents and, you know, wanting to sell us. It was, you were really, you know, observing our son and noticing the things that would soothe him. And then you were handing him more things. Oh, you like that? What, what about this? Do you like this? And, you know, and the way that you um, approached him there was not an ounce of feeling like there was ever going to be shame. And I even remember like the first day he came and, you know, hanging up his coat, like all these things, like, right. Parents aren't allowed to come in at drop off. Like it's all about this independence. And that was such a challenge, you know, cause we're so used to having a son who has fine motor challenges or this kind of challenge and, you know, and the struggle. And it's like, you know, we're in this time oriented society and, you know, just, you know, get it in and it has to be perfect. And as this, and you were just like, yeah, you know, here, here's a hanger. And you just were so patient, you know, like just kind of like, 
yeah, what's the strategy? Oh, you know, that's really hard for me too. I, I tend to like zip my coat. I remember all this, you know, like I find if I zip my coat, maybe it's a little bit easier to kind of get it on the hanger. And then, you know, and then finally, like he was just struggling and he just realized if he took the tag, like, you know, hang on a hook and he just kind of put that over the hook of the hanger then, and you were like, yeah, that works. Like there was never like this feeling like you had to do something one way. Like there was so many ways to fit in and to be celebrated. And there wasn't ever the sense of shame. And, um, and we were immediately just like, this is the place, you know, like we, we, like we found a, a home for our son to be there. And I remember when he went, you know, he came back and was like, everybody's nice, you know, like it was like the culture. And I don't even think he knows of, you know, the idea of culture, especially at that point, but he immediately felt like there was a shift in the culture. Like people were nice, you know, and he felt a part of something. And then that feeling of being a part of something gave him more confidence, you know, to take on those roles that Greenfields really encourages like leadership, you know, um, to, to lead, you know, workshops or to lead meetings or, or, you know, and then to even want to do that, to want to keep developing, to have those um, skill sets and, and badges to, to be able to do that. And, and then that started to become a huge shift in our own home. You know, like one of the features of Greenfields that we really value is that it's not a homework driven, you know, school. So that when you come home from school, you can be a kid, you can seek your own curiosities, and you can also have family time, you know, which for us is really important. And um, we always, I think you, you said to us in the meeting, like, could you imagine like if you got a job and you were getting paid to go to work from nine to five, but then they gave you four extra hours of work that they're not paying for you for every night, like you wouldn't stay in that job, but that's our school system and our families buy into it and, and how many fights and how much stress is over our kids doing their homework and you know, this and that. And so our whole home life became so much easier and then we watch the anxiety go away. We watch the joy of getting up and not fighting to go to school in the mornings, but it being something independently driven. And over the year and a half, like we're watching progress. You know, sometimes it plateaus and then it just exponentially jumps. But I think that's really normal in life for all of us as, as humans, you know? And it's just been such a treat to, to witness. And as a, as a parent, seeing your child in the right environment thriving. It's such a joy and also a, a feeling of relief. And, you know, sometimes that's a challenge in our society of, of, you know, what is your child accomplishing? You know, like, why is happiness and not being stressed, not like at the top of those list of accomplishments, you know, versus, you know, what grades or test scores or, you know, place, that you're, that you're on um, the team or this or that, you know, it's just, it's to me, like, this is the greatest thing as a parent um, and to be able to share in that and to unlearn parenting in some regard, you know, that's what Greenfield's also teaching me. Like I now am learning that my child is so capable that I don't need to step in and micromanage and do all these things. And that actually the process of learning is as much about not getting it right, you know, and not being perfect that, you know, that's been an unlearning process as a parent. 
And um, it's another just thing I'm grateful for um, because now I'm seeing he has the resources, you know, um, the skills and the, the ability to start doing more and more things on, on his own. So it's been a tremendous um, journey, you know, in finding the school and what it's offered to us. Yeah, it's definitely a change compared to what, how conventional school handles things, right? Where it, it doesn't start with the child first. It starts with a test score or a college admissions, or it starts with some far off outcome that everybody must do. And then it's broken down into these single age brackets, uh, 50 minute hours by different subject matters. There is nothing that they're going to encounter after school that's anything like what school has become. We're doing anything except preparing them with the skills they need to be successful in life. Arguably, the aim is to make them successful in college, which I guess is supposed to make them successful in life. But that's just not the way the path works, right? And when you look at the advances in cognitive science and learning and everything else, like the the best way to learn and to develop is first to feel safe and comfortable, right? And uh, when it's all about grades and everything you do is going to be graded, and if you fail, it's going to go on your permanent record, um, it just drives the life out of the situation. Uh, and like what you said, no one, no one would take a job like that. I think every parent should have to go and sit in a conventional school classroom for one day, not to, not to observe, but to actually participate and do the part of being a student. And let's see how that goes, because what we put our kids through is uh, it's unhealthy. And, you know, it's talking with someone the other day and I was like talking with a family you know I was told that my son would probably do better in a smaller school because the people would have a chance to care about him it's like everybody's going to do better being around people who care about them and people who love them like that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard it's like just standing up and saying yeah we don't really have time or the inclination or the heart or the system whatever it is to care uh, because that slows us down and we have to jam through this curriculum. We have to jam through this now. Um, and whether you're falling behind or whether you're ahead, it doesn't matter. We're all going to just trudge through this together. Just having to recreate the whole idea of what that feeling is, whether it's from just having some couches that you want to work on the couch today. Great. Can you get your work done on the couch? Not everybody can. Uh, so figure that out. Or I liked your example. I had totally forgotten about him trying to hang up his jacket that first day and, uh, <laughs> you know, watching him struggle with it. And it's like, all right, what are you going to try next? You know, it's like that, but it builds that problem solving yeah. skill set and you don't have to do it my way. Right. Um, and if you find a better way to do it or a way that works for you, that's great. And you've now also earned some authentic confidence that you were able to solve a problem on your own, whether it's a small problem like that, or as a, a bigger problem of I've fallen behind, or I don't know how to do this thing, or I'm having this problem with this person. Like we love problems, uh, whether they're intrapersonal, interpersonal, uh, academic, experiential, whatever it is, because that's what you learn from. You learn from the struggle uh, and uh, to build an environment that uh, gets everybody in that struggle 
I think is so much more important. My my oldest son is a little similar to the one you were talking about, where everything was so easy. He went to best schools, blah blah blah, and uh, just being miserable. Yeah. And I uh, did not have the skills needed to be able to cope with the situation. Huge fear of failure, lots of anxiety, um, and that's not the kid who he was. That's uh, the environment, and uh, to get him kind of pulled back from that, uh, took a lot. Um, and, uh, but it's just such a healthier place to be. And yeah, and I'm starting to ramble a bit, but right. I had this, I had this strange thought last night, Uh-oh. um, or maybe it was this morning, that blurry line between, uh, waking up and not quite awake. One of the things that we use as a basis for, our social emotional stuff is the work that was done by Seligman and Peterson at a university of Penn around uh, well-being theory. And uh, they have five pieces to the well-being theory just called PERMA. I should have had like, now I'm going to share this story without any notes. So this is going to be helpful. Let's see PERMA. <laughs> um, positive emotions, engagement, relationships, uh, meaning and achievement. And uh, if you have those things, and they do most of their work with adults, right? Um, but that's a that's a, a well-being that you really need to have all those things. Well, we don't give the kids any meaning for school. Right. Um, the research shows their engagement levels are in the teens, with almost as many being actively disengaged, which means like undermining the system, as there are actively engaged. Which is also in our businesses now too. Right. It's like the number one reason corporations are suffering is disengaged employees. Yeah. The relationships, we do nothing to help them build relationships. Uh, meaning, yeah, we talked about that. No meaning. Positive emotion. Hope you find someone. I'll give you a gold star. Um, and then it's all just about the achievement thing, which was the last piece they added because a student of theirs brought it up to them. Like, well, what if you just like to achieve for achievement's sake? And like, that's a valuable thing of an entire well-being piece. So we'll put that in there. It's achievement for achievement's sake, not achievement for somebody else's sake, right? That's the key there. It's like achievement that's work-based is the contract. Like, so the students are in a contract, like you're achieving this because you're giving us this answer. Like your example earlier was like problem solving. Well, it's great if there's so many different ways that you could solve the problem and we, and we, you know, celebrate a student, you know, or anybody who came up with a solution other than this is the only one that we wanted. Yeah. It's a, even the show your work, right. Where it's like, and I, I understand show your work when you're trying to coach somebody or work with somebody, but it's like, I don't know. So many of these concepts, I'm like, where am I? Like I was a really good test taker. I want my test, right? As an adult, I want my test so I can get, but I don't, there's no test. No, there's no forced ranking. There's no grading. There's no any of that. Yeah. It's, it, you know, you said something earlier about the fear and, you know, like caring and all of that. And I mean, the fear is so driven in, right? Like, and I remember when my oldest was in middle school and he was a, trying out for travel basketball and it was like the, the tryouts and he was super, um, nervous. And I was like, wow, tell me more about what it's like to be nervous, you know, and what's that feel like in your body? So he's describing it, you know, like the butterflies and like all the, the kind of angst and all this. And I'm like, God, you know, that's how I feel like when I'm excited too. Isn't that weird that like nervous and excitement almost feel the same. I go, well, 
what, what do you think the difference is? Like, why are you nervous? And he said, cause I don't think I'm, I think I'm going to fail. And I was like, oh, I wonder if, if you would be excited if you were thinking you were going to succeed, you know? And I think like so much of our, of our population is driven on that fear of, of failing. So they're coming into things with their nervous system now, you know, in more of a fight or flight kind of response. And how are we really ever to have any kind of healthy engagement if the nervous system that's controlling everything is wanting to flee or wanting to, you know, somehow fight with what's there? How much of this is an environmental kind of concern that is pushing, you know, the manifestation of behaviors we're seeing in kids today? you know, more than it being like, you know, a genetic or, or, you know, disposition, like you, you inherit this, you know, like, I'm just curious. And so like, when I see greenfields and I see an environment, you know, the environment to me is so different, the caring, the, the, the space that I'm, I'm seeing a different set of behaviors turn on in my son over this time, you know, that isn't, needing services like that we used to have. He was, you know, in OT twice a week and this and that, you know, while we were in CPS, you know, in public schools, we don't have any of that now. And so I, there's a huge, you know, I mean, I know in science, they call this epigenetics, you know, like how the environment really turns on and off gene expression. And I, I'm, I just wish that was taught or thought of more in our educational environments from young ages, rather than these are the benchmarks, these are the scores, these are the things we're looking for, but we're not looking to see how the environment is affecting these kids that we're now gonna label this or that. Yeah, so much of it, I mean, you, you from my 1894 spiel, right? <laughs> so much of it just uh, it goes back to this uh, group of 10 old white men in 1894. Um, Could you and, imagine uh, today, like how that would go? <laughs> right, uh, we're talking 125 years later, and all that's happened is the cement has been poured deeper and deeper around those foundations. Uh, and it's been poured by the same type of people who's like college admissions. This is what it takes to get into college uh, to the point we don't even do trade stuff at school anymore. Like it, it's like the, the amount of uh, intelligences and abilities and strengths and superpowers that we focus on in conventional school is so thin you know, it's like, can you be popular? Can you read? Can you write? Can you do math? Can you be obedient? Mm. Right. I mean, th this is like the end. Can you build something amazing? Uh, do you have a, incredible persuasive powers? Are you a leader of people? Do people want to follow you? Um, are you great at making other people look good at what they do? Can you lift people up? Uh, like all of these other like much more important skills and strengths get basically told that they're worthless until hopefully they haven't been totally beaten out of you by the time you get into uh, needing to find a way through life rather than just finding a way to survive school. And, and life is such a relational, you know, experience. It's all relationships, you know, your relationship to yourself, your relationship, you know, to what we put as the priority or work, like you go, you meet somebody like, what, what do you do? You know, like, it's not like, who are you? You know, like it's like work somehow defines us and like, where did that start in our, in our life? And, you know, I look at the relationships. That's, that's the most like important feature of, of my life. And I feel like as a, as somebody who spent a life studying 
you know, how things connect um, both internally and externally, you know, relationships are, are the benchmark for me. And, and I look at our society and we have more divorce, you know, more second divorce. We have, we have relationships that are constantly failing and yet we never look at like the systems where, you know, we're sending ourselves and how that's impacting its implications, you know, to who we become as adults. Like, I think school is a huge part of that. You know, we're, we're as humans, we model behavior, we model movements, you know, the word emotion in Latin means from movement, you know, so as, as we're watching how the people in front of us move, which is essentially, you know, our kindergarten teachers and up, we're, we're also learning how to relate to the world. And so to me, school is the, like, one of the most important places to develop relationship skills, modeling of those relationships, you know, because that becomes our, our future. You know, if we have good, healthy relationships and we know how to relate and how to connect, I mean, I think we can end up doing anything. At school yesterday, the, now you've heard me say it before, but I would love to put every therapist out of business. Right? <laughs> how do we uh, just start with, uh, instead of creating baggage when we're younger, right? How can we authentically engage with who we are and what the human experience is so that we can have a uh, productive time later in life rather than, uh, than carrying all that baggage around? Yeah. Or those therapists have, you know, a really great role to, to help us in, in times of real you know, struggle, but, you know, but yeah, it's pretty expedited and it's like, we don't, you don't need to rely on it now for the rest of our life. Occasionally. Yeah, no, the, 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 the big winners out of how we handle conventional school are big pharma, uh, therapists and the educational industrial complex. So you're, there's a, yeah, just tackling the small stuff. <laughs> I, there, yeah, there's, and it's when you look inside the big system, this is why I stayed out at K-12 for so long is where do you even begin to try to make meaningful change uh, in a conventional school, uh, especially in a public school district? Uh, the amount, it, it takes 10 years to make a change and 10 years to undo that change. Uh, and that just, that's no way to keep up with, a, with what these kids are going to face. That accelerating change of the world is just so fast and they get it and they sit outside of school and it just becomes like school just makes less and less sense to them of why it's happening and what's going on and how it's important. And then I imagine you add into that, that those people that are primarily looking outside of the traditional school are looking at religious private schools, you know, as the number one place that you send. So that's also just kind of passing on tradition. Yep. Most people who are going to parochial schools are going for uh, what they believe is a lack of moral-based education. Right. Um, and, and often for that love, right? They feel like their child's just going to be cared about more. Uh, you know, the old days of the uh, nun with the ruler are pretty much gone. Nice uh, <laughs> I'm sure if that's what you still want, you can find that school for you. Um, but it's still like the best schools, like pick the best, uh, school, like the blue ribbon schools. Like we have a blue ribbon school up around the corner here. Right. And they are missing out on the potential of what all those kids can do by so much because it all gets pushed down into that small academic piece of life. You know, my daughter's going to one, uh, we, you know, when she went into high school, we didn't have a high school program yet at Greenfields. And her and her 
colleagues of that time are like, it's, it's just so, it's so much easier than Greenfields. And, you know, it doesn't make sense. I just like to go hang out with my friends. And so the stuff that she's really interested in learning about, she does at home and on her own time. Uh, and, you know, school is just one of those checkmark boxes now that she has to get through, um, which is just like, that must break your it's heart. It's sad, but it, it it's sad. But if it, at least if you can if you can get through it quickly enough, at least you have a chance to maybe do some of the relationship side and make some friends and and do some of those pieces. But uh, if you struggle in that box, uh, not only are you not reaching what your potential could be, you're not. It's just it's being stifled away from what other people are getting out of that box. And it's so inefficient, you know, like the process, particularly the high school, like I, I, I have a couple podcasts that I love listening to and, and um, he was homeschooled and then he was interviewing another person who also happened to be homeschooled. And, and, you know, they both were in college at 16, you know, which starts to show like, what, where, why is it so inefficient? Like, what, what is that purpose? Like, you know, that the, the system is dragged out for that long. I didn't realize it before getting into doing greenfields, but it is. It's purposely slowed down. Um, the learning design, the structure of it is meant to be slow uh, for two reasons. One, to kind of like make sure that for people who got a C or whatever, it's spiraled back so that they're still trying to pick it up. Um, but also nobody knows what to do with a 12-year-old high school graduate. <laughs> like the, there's just a, there's a babysitting component that it's been labeled onto. And so like, I can tell you right now, I can get, you give me a neurotypical kid and I will give you a college grad, a bachelor's degree, at least by the time they're 18, right? The level of work that our middle school age kids are doing is high school level work. Uh, one of the debates that we're having right now is, um, if you, if you, we have what, you get a project badge and then we have a project plus often, right? So it's like the above. And so we're thinking right now, if you're completing that project plus level in middle school, you're basically doing an AP level course. We're not going to give you a high college credit for it, but we're, we'll give you a high school credit for it. For you to have to go through and repeat that again, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so what we want out of high school is really the ability to go and just chase after what you want, right? There's graduation requirements from the state and all that stuff that we have to do too, but you can get through that stuff in two and a half, three years, super easy. And that's without taking any middle school credit. Um, start taking college courses if that's what you want. Uh, we have built into our program called the next great adventure, which is about really figuring it out who you are, what are, where your curiosities are, and how that applies to the outside world, right? We do a lot of that internally of like, who are you? What are your strengths? What type of person do you want to be? How do you want to relate to other people? What are the things that you're interested in and curious about? And we, we nurture that all the way through. But then by the time you're getting to high school, it's like, okay, well, how does this fit into what happens to me after high school, right? When I'm out in life and I'm outside of school. And so the, the program really walks you through that, those inventories about what you want to do, starts to line you up with different experiences. Uh, you go through and you find people who are in the industry, make phone calls to them, see if they let you shadow for a day or do an internship. Uh, so you can really get a sense of where it is that you want to go. And 
that's what should happen out of that. And if you find that like, Hey, I want to, I need to go to college. I want to go to this college because this is what it's going to do for me. This is what I'm going to bring to it. Uh, that's, that's a valuable piece. And, you know, when I went to college, it was, um, uh, I guess it's time to go to college. Uh, what should I do? And, you know, it's a, it's a, and now it's, you know, we have what, 3,500 colleges or something in the country. And everybody wants to go to 20 of them. Yeah. And uh, that's just more of the same Well, and I, bad mindset, fixed mindset. I mean, it wasn't even a choice in my family. Like, if you want to go to college or not, it's like you're going to college. And then it's like, you know, what grad school, law school, medical, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, so I went as far away to college as I could and dropped out after a year. And by the time I knew what I wanted to study in college... I had no desire to, you know, continue going to college. I just wanted to, you know, get out and go to India. And um, I wish I had the option of finding myself a little bit more clearly before investing all this time and money and energy, you know, into an education that I would have, you know, if, if I knew what I really wanted to do at that point, if I had waited a few more years, I would have probably loved being in college and, you know, studying at that case, South Asian, you know, studies and philosophy and Sanskrit and all sorts of stuff, which I ended up auditing later in my life because my my teacher was a professor at the University of Rochester and let me go attend all of the, you know, classes and, and you know, was able to study all those things. But if I knew at 19 or 20, you know, it's, I think it's so much pressure. Like you're supposed to know what you want to do at 18, you know, and, you're, and we're going to put, you know, 35,000 to $70,000 down a year, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. And, you know, and so to have like built into a school, like a high school, like, like you, you actually get like this gap year as part of your high school. That's amazing. Cause then when I do go or when a child does go and makes that choice for a college, they're at least, they might not have to know everything, but they at least have a better sense of who they are and what kind of contributions into the world and what they want to study. And they've also been used to an education system where it's more fluid. It's not so much about, you know, it, it might be your credit hours in college that de de determine, you know, where you are as a freshman, sophomore, junior high school or senior, but it's not like your curriculum, you know, like I love Greenfield's curriculum has a lot of fluidity where, you know, an Explorer One, which is where my son is, could do you know, work of, of different levels of explorer. You just have to know in order to move up, you have to get all of this done, you know? And and yeah, I'll, I'll attest, they are doing some serious high school physics right now and he would be what's considered sixth grade and he, what he's learning, it's like insane, you know? I'm looking at the equations going, yeah, I think I did that in 11th grade. Well, thanks everybody for listening in to this episode of Education is Life and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>